Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. What a weekend in sports it has been and what a next few months it's going to be in the world of sports. Uh, as a reminder, I have a website, www.chrisrawl.com, my name. There are essays there that I have written about various things within the world of sports. There's every episode of this show that you can access. Uh, again, reminder on that front, if you are not already, please remember to subscribe and download the show. Please remember to rate it and review it. Five stars, that'd be very helpful to me. I will give you a nice digital kiss through this podcast and we can go and be happy and go on our way. Now on to today's episode where I talk about the past, the present, and the future of luck in sports. I get asked a lot by people that I know who are sports fans that know that I'm a sports fan and they come to me and they say, Chris, why are you always talking about luck in sports? It seems bizarre. You know, I've heard this from multiple people. They say, doesn't it, if there's so much luck involved with these proceedings, doesn't that kind of tarnish something that is supposed to be all about skill? I don't understand why it would be thrilling to watch these games and then at the end of it go, well, I just feel like kind of luck or chance decided it. And it's a valid point. And I understand where they're coming from. And my retort is always, well, luck in small doses, I think is really enjoyable. It adds a dash of unpredictability to the proceedings that is really uh, cool. It's electric. It throws a monkey wrench into things where you think it's headed one way and it goes another way. If it's all about luck, it's not really interesting to me. Think of the gambling world and I say, I'm not going to go and sit at a slot machine because all a slot machine is, is you crank on something and a computer spits out whether you won or whether you lost. There's no skill involved, right? Uh, you can bump it up a little and you say, yeah, how about blackjack? Yeah, blackjack, it's fine. Sure. It takes a very small amount of skill and understanding. Just you master the basics and then you can't really do much from there. And the rest of it, it's just all about luck, you know, and you can keep bumping up. Poker, it's a bigger draw to people because, yeah, there's a lot more skill involved with that and understanding than there is with blackjack. You can go on and on, and I think you get to the point, whatever your preference is. For me, it's, I like a lot of skill to be involved, but with that dash of luck, I think it creates an incredible version of art. Enough of that unpredictability to keep you on your toes, with the main course kind of being those amazing athletic feats. That's how I always look at sports at their very best. So I'm sitting there watching it and I go, I know I can enjoy this to the maximum amount because LeBron's involved and I know I'm going to get a bunch of amazing athletic feats or Aaron Rodgers or pick whoever your favorite athletes or teams are. That's the draw that brings you back to watching them again and again and again. That's why I watch the Avalanche every single game because every time I watch them, I say Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr and Darcy Kemper and Devontae's go down the list of all these people, but there's just incredible skill on display every night. However, the outcome sometimes, depending on the game, depending upon the series, is going to involve luck. It's just the way that things work in a world where virtually everything involves luck. But this combination is what creates the best viewer experience in my opinion. That's why I'm always talking about luck, because I like it in small doses. But why I really am always talking about it, especially once we narrow it down and get to the stretch run or to the postseason, is because I want 
people again and again and again to understand. Luck plays a role in this stuff. And the way that narrative is shaped based upon stuff that many times boils down to simple luck, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of insane. So today I want to go over some, some things, past, present, future, that tie into this idea, the role of luck within sports, the way that it can shape an outcome, and just kind of the resulting fallout that occurs from there. I, I've been thinking about two things from the past, which at the time were just crazy things, really big stories, alter, I mean, season altering in one of the cases. And looking back on, I still just go, man, this is, I still can't believe both of these things happened. The first, we're back in the 2007 NFL season. It's the Super Bowl for that year, you know, played at the start of 2008. It involves the best NFL team that I personally have ever watched, the 2007 New England Patriots. Just a cutting edge offense at the time. They kind of implemented a lot of collegiate concepts onto the offensive side. They acquired... Randy Moss, they had Wes Welker there in the slot. The best actual wideout, the best slot wideout at the time. They really leaned into a shotgun attack, spread it out. Short passing, we can attack vertically. Just a lot of stuff that was more prominent in college at the time, but hadn't really come into the NFL. And New England leaned heavily into that and just burned through everybody. Undefeated regular season, burned through their first couple of playoff games. Now they're in the Super Bowl. They're playing the Giants. Giants are heavy underdogs because A, they weren't that good that season. And B, this was, again, the best NFL team I've ever watched. And we all know that the Giants win the game. Huge, huge, huge upset. But the play that is most remembered from this game, by me, by all of you, by everybody, is the David Tyree helmet catch. For my money, probably the luckiest play that has happened in a situation of this magnitude. Everything is on the line. It's the actual season for the final two teams left remaining. An undefeated season is on the line. In the modern version of the NFL, nobody had gone undefeated through 16 games in the playoffs. The only team in the history of the NFL, it's the old school Dolphins, uh, and that's back in 1971 or whatever that year was. So New England's looking to make history, and the game comes down to this play, the third and five. There's a minute 14 on the clock. Giants have the ball, their own 44. They're down by four points at this time. David Tyree coming into this game, a dude who played predominantly on special teams for New England. In the regular season that year, he had four catches for 35 yards and no touchdowns. Give you a sense how little used this particular player was. On the play itself, Eli Manning drops back. It's mayhem. It is hard to count if you go back and watch the replay. I mean, we've all probably seen the play 20 different times. It's on commercials. It's, it's shown anytime any sort of montage that applies to the NFL playoffs is involved. But it's really, if you watch the whole play, it's hard to count how many uncalled holds occur on this play. As Manning is, Manning, a man who is not known for scrambling, he's kind of wobbling around the pocket and trying to pick a spot where he can find time to throw. And his line senses, hey, we're getting caved in. This is going to end in a sack and it's going to be fourth and 15 or fourth and 20 and the game's going to be on line. And they're just grabbing and clutching and hauling down people. None of it's called, which just, that's just chance. That's just luck. It's just, it's refereeing and who the hell knows what goes on with it as I'll get to later on in the podcast and how that kind of pertains into some present day stuff that occurred over this weekend. But the play results in Manning just fluttering up a stereotypical wounded Eli Manning duck that half helicopter, half spiral. David Tyree jumps up, pins the ball against his helmet with one hand, falls to the ground. The ball misses touching the ground by, it seems like, a centimeter. 
or reviewing it over and over, trying to determine if the ball touched the turf. You can't tell. You go, I think there's room. I don't know. Who knows? Whoever knows. Again, for my money, the luckiest play I've ever watched that resulted in an incredible outcome occurring. The biggest upset in my lifetime in the NFL, I would say, for, again, a game of this magnitude. So first down and four plays later, Manning throws a touchdown to Plaxico Burris. That ends up being the game-winning touchdown. 17-14, Giants, huge upset. New England, their hopes of an undefeated season dashed at the last possible moment. And as I'm watching it, I just was thinking, I can't believe the David Tyree catch occurred. Now, this game had both sides of it. It's why I thought the game was awesome in the moment. It's why I still look back on it fondly. Because there's obviously a ton of skill that was involved in this game on both sides. But for the winning side... I go, hell yeah, there's a bunch of skill that was happening, especially on that defensive side, especially on that defensive front. The people up front who controlled the game, they were the story. The only team all year that was able to slow down and actually kind of shut down what New England wanted to do on offense. New York Giants, defensive front, that was what was going on. Uzi Yumanyora, Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, we all remember. The story of the game. Incredible skill involved with what was going on there. But the biggest play of the game, David Tyree, helmet catch. And as I'm talking about this, I'm still going, it's hard to comprehend how lucky that play was, even in retrospect. And just the resulting fallout that occurs from this. You know, again, New England's season is dashed. An undefeated season. What a cap that would be on the career of Belichick and Brady and that entire New England Patriots dynasty. And instead, it's one of two Super Bowls for Eli Manning that launches him into this outsized stratosphere of how we talk about him and who we're comparing him to. And Eli Manning, who do you think's better? He's obviously better because he's won two Super Bowls. And how could you compare him to his peers like Philip Rivers? And Roethlisberger has two Super Bowls, so we can discuss that. And I'm hearing discussions like that and going, look, I watched all these players. Philip Rivers is 10 times better than Eli Manning. Ben Roethlisberger is 10 times better than Eli Manning. But he won two Super Bowls. He was the quarterback of two Super Bowl winning teams. And in one of those games, it came down to his defensive line annihilating the Patriots and David Tyree catching a ball off of his helmet on a play where nobody called a holding. That's what this stuff can kind of come down to. And the narratives that result out of that, they can stretch far and wide to infinity. A couple years later, I want to concentrate on a second, not necessarily a moment, this was a run, but in the moment, it seemed so lucky that my brain probably couldn't really compute what was happening. It's 2011, and it was Tim Tebow with the Denver Broncos. Time that some of you will look back on very fondly, and a time that some of you, I will be in this camp, that I look back on and go, what in the hell happened to humanity during this time? Sports media was dominated by the Tebow story. It led every SportsCenter segment. ESPN was talking about it around the clock. It's one of the only times in my life that I've ever thought God might be a real thing because there was no other way to explain what was going on during this time. There's a five-game win streak that Denver cobbles together with Tebow as their starter that gets them into the playoffs. Now, you remember, it's a five-game winning streak, but Denver on the season, they end up being an eight and eight team. They win their division because the AFC West that year was complete shit. But still, they make the playoffs, and there's this five-game winning streak, and people are losing their minds, and they're going, 
Obviously, this is occurring because Tim Tebow won multiple national championships. One is just a bit player, his freshman year when Chris Leak was the actual starter quarterback, but whatever. He won another one. He was a very successful collegiate player. And he's just a man who knows how to win. And now they're on a five-game winning streak. And yeah, if you watched these games, you could not explain what was happening. It was just luck and weird stuff going on. During that win streak, Tebow and those wins. I go back and look at the stats because I remembered it was freaky as hell, but I also remember Tim Tebow doing nothing virtually ever. And during those five wins, you know, first game, he's 10 for 21 for 124 yards. All right. He's next game. He's two for eight for 69 yards. Okay. He's nine for 20 for 104 yards. He's nine for 18 for 143 yards. He's, you know, he's just <laughs> go down the list. Final game. He's 21 for 40 for 236 yards. None of these stat lines insinuate a quarterback who should be winning, but there was just weird stuff going on at this time. There's fumbles. There's the bears are melting down at the end of one of those games. It's just strange stuff. And I'm watching it going, this is one of the luckiest things I've ever watched in my life. And yet the Broncos end up making the playoffs and we're all ready for them to get their comeuppance. They host the Steelers in the wildcard round that year. Huge underdogs. And they, they end up winning the game. <laughs> it fed into this narrative. You know, Tebow knows how to win. And, and to his credit in that game, it was a very bizarre game in general. They have a second quarter explosion. They do nothing the rest of the game. It goes into overtime. Tebow hits Demaryius Thomas on a slant on the first play from scrimmage. And he stiff arms somebody, races 80 yards for a touchdown to win the game. And Tebow in that game, you know, he's 10 for 21. He throws for over 300 yards. It's these huge chunk completions that occurred. So now it's feeding more into it. And maybe I'm, go- I'm sitting there going, maybe I'm crazy. You know, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe... There's something going on in my brain that's preventing me from seeing what happens here. And maybe this isn't luck. Maybe there's some sort of skill. I don't know what's happening. And the Broncos go and they play New England the next round. And at this point, I'm sitting here saying, I don't know what to, I assume they're going to get blown out. But at this point, I wouldn't put anything past it again. I might believe God exists now. Who knows what's going to happen? And they get blasted. They lose the Patriots by 35. Tebow goes nine for 26 for 136 yards. But this is like still a huge talking point. For years, spanning from this stretch of time, this five-game stretch that Denver won, and then once the season ended, this one wild-card playoff game against Pittsburgh. People are talking about, again, these outsized narratives that occur based upon things that I look at and say, that's just complete luck. I don't know what is involved there that pertains to skill from Tebow, but I can't say there's a lot that I'm watching. And that's reflected by how the NFL looked at the situation because. Less than a year later after this New England game, I mean, he's out of the league, literally out of the league. And his, you know, he's three seasons into his career at this point. But the league just looked at it and was like, yeah, that's not a sustainable way. I mean, watch this guy drop back 10 times and he's throwing directly into the dirt on four of them. You know, this Demarius Thomas play, it's great. It's cool that they won, but like it's him hitting him on a slant for 10 yards. And then Demarius Thomas is making a hell of a play and using a speed to run away from the Pittsburgh defense. Now, again, I mention this because we're talking about luck today, but it's interesting to point out if you want to talk about strange things that occur based upon the fallout from things like this, it's that you go back to 2011 and again, even years beyond, and people believe that Tebow is good at quarterbacking because his team won five games en route to a eight and eight divisional crown. (laughs) It's very, very strange concept in the moment. 
significantly more strange as time has gone on. And I look back on it and no one really talks about Tebow anymore because why would we? First time I heard him mentioned in years is because Urban Meyer is his boy and he wanted him to play fullback. And then he whiffed on two blocks in a preseason game and everybody went, yeah, let's just get out of here. But you look back at 2011 and I go, you know, small sample size insanity. That's a thing, ladies and gentlemen. It is an absolute thing. We watched five games and the quarterback didn't play well, but his team won and we lost ourselves in it, you know, and ESPN took it and ran with it and shaped public discourse. And that's why we talked about Tim Tebow for years and years and years, including when he's playing minor league baseball for the Mets on some podunk team out in the middle of who knows where. But it's that small sample size insanity that I look at and say, man, this is why I am always talking about how intense the arguments are about quarterbacks and their playoff records and why I always say this does not make sense. We're talking about a tiny sample of games and games that many times just boil down to what I'm talking about, luck. We applied that kind of logic everywhere. We just snipped out a handful of games. Tim Tebow would be a great NFL quarterback. We'd be talking about it all the time. I mean, Jeremy Lin would be one of the greatest basketball players ever. He loses his mind for a couple of weeks with the New York Knicks and he's scoring 30 points a game. We're like, what is this? And then after it was done, we're like, what was that? You know, there's just, there's so much weird shit that would dominate the headlines for all of time. If we applied the exact same logic, sometimes easy to understand when time has passed and we can look back on it and go, yeah, Tim Tebow was not a good NFL quarterback. Kind of funny that we thought that maybe briefly, some people kind of funny that the predominant organization that covers sports as its go-to thing just really wanted to force feed that down our throat. But we understand that was a crazy time. We understand there was nothing going on there that pertained to skill. We understand there's just a lot of luck involved. <laughs> and now we feel at peace with that. So I want to bring this up and I want to talk about the past because it feeds into the present. It feeds into the future because regular season stuff. Yeah, it's winding down. We're entering the postseason for college basketball. Hell yeah. The NBA and the NHL, they are soon to follow. Hell yeah, as well. And that is the time. Just like I did before college football and especially the NFL playoffs, it's the time to point out the role of luck in shaping outcomes, which in turn shapes narratives. So when you're watching it, you're aware of it and you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I understand what Chris is talking about. So when you're having your own discussions, you're formulating your own opinions and you want to go and have arguments or just have a little bit higher level discussions about sports rather than the Packers won and Aaron Rodgers a shit or the Niners won and Jimmy Garoppolo is great. If you want to do that, that's great. But if you want to talk about sports at a little bit higher level, this is where this stuff comes into play. You could say, well, let's talk about what went into this game. Let's talk about the things the player couldn't control. Let's talk about just random luck that occurred. Now, this is on my mind because the sports, the last week of sports was awesome. But this weekend, there's so much stuff going on. Last weekend, there's college basketball tournaments are winding down. Selection Sunday. Now we got the bracket set. Now we're moving into March Madness. Awesome stuff. Hockey is in a place that I just can't even describe how much I love. The NBA, I, I can't say the same thing about, but it's there. And hopefully come playoff time, it's better and more interesting to me. Um, and golf is playing one of my favorite tournaments of the whole year. Actually, as I'm recording this, it's still going on. Players' Championship. Been beset by weather, which is a subject that I will get into in a very short moment. But there's so much high-level stuff going on over this weekend. 
that is leading into even higher level things. Players Championship, that spins into the Masters. It spins into the Majors. These conference tournaments, they spin into March Madness. Stretch run of NBA and NHL, it spins into chase for the NBA Championship, the chase for the Stanley Cup. And what I'm watching over this weekend, there's tons of skill. There's tons of awesome games. There's games that are just won straight by skill. And then there's other things that are occurring. And I'm going, yeah, this just, both of these teams seemed pretty even. Or this tournament, you know, who knows what's going on with this golf tournament. But it seems like there's an outsized factor here that, that I would call luck. And I don't say that as a diss on the team that wins. Again, it takes incredible skill to get to a point where the outcome of a big-time game is in doubt. Think Giants and Patriots in that Super Bowl. Took so much stuff to get to that point. But when we fall so much in love with who won, who lost, and now we can talk about it just in those terms, that's where I take a little bit of umbrage and say, well, took a lot of skill to get there, but that game came down to a helmet catch. (laughs) Came down to five holds not being called. So over this weekend, I'm watching sports. And again, these moments and games that I'm going to mention, they're not the highest leverage games and moments, but it's just something that you can pick out of any game at any point all the time, over and over and over. And when you understand it and see it, it's really easy to understand and see in the highest leverage games and moments and really be able to separate outcome from narrative. So a good example would be Iowa and Indiana. This last weekend, playing in the Big Ten semifinals, really good game, coming down to the wire. Indiana's fighting for their bubble life. Iowa's really good basketball team. They're fighting for seeding. In this game, you know, it's tied at the very end. It comes down to a Jordan Bohannon three-point shot right at the very end. That is not a good shot. Um, He's shooting it from relatively straight away. He's rushed. Hawk's ticking down. And he banks in this three-pointer. Not something that I promise you Jordan Bohannon was trying to do. You think about that in terms of how far offline the shot is relative to what he's trying to do. He's trying to shoot it through the rim, and instead it smashes the backboard and goes in, and it's the separator. Iowa wins. There's less than a second on the clock. They advance to the conference title game, which they end up winning. So now Iowa, Big Ten champions, improves their seeding. I believe they were dubbed as a five seed in the bracket. Who knows how that changes, depending upon this banked in three. If they lose in the semis, maybe that's different. Maybe it's not. Who knows? Indiana, they're now playing for their NCAA tournament lives as one of the last four teams in. They're going to be battling it out on Tuesday night. Seems safe to say that if they win that game, and especially if they win the Big Ten title, they are not doing that. They are easily in the field of 64 rather than those last four. There's just a lot of stuff that goes into this. A game that comes down to a straightaway banked in three from a dude who's not trying to do that. and. March Madness is great for a lot of reasons. And for me, one of those reasons is because I don't think it determines the best team. And I don't necessarily care about that. I care about being able to watch the most entertaining product possible because I don't have a dog in the race. Uh, I don't have a college basketball team. I just want to watch these incredible games. And sometimes they come down to luck. And I personally am fine with that unless I'm gambling on it and it goes against me and then I lose my mind. But you get the point. It's just incredible viewing experience. A high-level played basketball game. Maybe it comes down to a banked in three. All right, so be it. Maybe it comes down to a 40-footer, like Chattanooga against Furman. Same, same thing going on last week. It's for the Southern Conference title. Obviously, an NCAA title berth tied into that. Chattanooga's playing Furman, and Furman looks like they're going to win. And David John Baptiste for Chattanooga gets the ball racing, 
at the literal buzzer. He pulls up from 40 feet. He's completely defended perfectly. <laughs> if I were sitting there and a Furman fan or attached to that team in any way, I would lose so much sleep over this moment. I can't even describe it. But he pulls up from 40 feet, heaves up a prayer. That's exactly what I would call it. And it hammers home. Chattanooga's freaking out. It's an incredible March Madness moment. Pre-March Madness. <laughs> Sets the stage for what is to come, hopefully. And as I'm reflecting on it, I go, oh my goodness. If I were Furman, I could not wrap my head around what that game came down to. Give the dude props, you drilled the three, but you'll never be able to convince me that a guy who's completely defended on the full run, who smashes in a 40-footer, that that was anything other than just, eh, we were on the wrong side of Lady Luck today. It's all over, you know? Again, that's for a tournament berth. Pretty high leverage situation. Uh, there's other stuff that's going on over the weekend that doesn't have the same leverage, but it's just, it's interesting to note because I look at it and say, holy cow, what are we even talking about here? How is this what this game is potentially decided by? Even if it's a random NBA regular season, let's look at the Sunday afternoon Maverick Celtics game. Two teams on the rise. Celtics now have the best defense in the league, improbably, strangely enough. Mavericks have been awesome with Luka for about two straight months. They're climbing up into the middle seating of the West. But the game comes down to the Mavericks up by three. Celtics ball, five seconds to go. Jalen Brown attempts a three. They blow the whistle, call a foul on Luka. He's going to have three free throws to tie the game. And it goes to replay. Now it goes to review because the Mavericks have two timeouts. And the announcers, they're looking at the replay and they're saying, you know, Hubie Brown, he is 900 years old, but he knows a thing or two about basketball. Going, yeah, oh, obviously foul, you know, just seems like Dallas is using a timeout because they have one to burn. There's really nothing to lose here. They still have the extra timeout for when they need it. So whatever, who cares? Just throw this timeout away. Maybe something funky happens. Something funky does indeed happen because it goes to replay and a play that I thought was a foul, play that the announcers thought was a foul, play that I feel pretty comfortable saying, I think almost everybody who watches basketball would look at and say, yeah, you got him there, pal. That's three shots. Instead, comes back from replay and they say, no, no, not at all. Let's just, uh, no foul. Celtics ball, side out. They miss a three at the buzzer. Game, set, match. It's just strange. Strange things can go into deciding the outcome of an individual game. When it boils down to just these tight moments, refs are going to have a say. And refs, they are so random, it's hard to describe. Because at first, everybody's agreeing this is a foul. And then after the foul occurs, they bring on, I think it's Steve Javi, whoever the current bozo in-house shill for the NBA officiating is. And he comes on and goes, well, actually, you know, I see how they could arrive at this destination. And I'm going, this is just embarrassing. You know, your job is to come in after the fact and verify whatever the ref says via replay. There's nothing that goes on here that leads me to believe it's done in good faith. Because if I were on the broadcast, I would just be like, I don't know what they're seeing there you probably are going to need to go talk to them after the game. And instead, he's going, no, well, yeah, maybe, sure. I, I don't know. But it's just luck. Just interpretation. One ref could look at it and say, that's obviously a foul. And if you get a different ref, they could go to replay and say, what I called on the floor, what I looked at on replay that still looks like that same thing, I'll just overturn because I feel like it. That's what can happen within this kind of stuff. So that's going on in the present. Um, I mentioned the Players' Championship, which again is taking place right now as I'm recording this show. The third round just finished up. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to finish the final round today. You all will know this by the time this episode is released. 
But what I'm talking about in regards to luck, I can talk about freely, regardless of the outcome. Players' Championship is an incredible event. Huge purse, 20 million bucks. A lot of people call it the fifth major. Uh, it holds about, actually not about, it holds as much prestige outside of the majors as any tournament in golf. Again, it is one of my favorite events of the entire year. I think the course is phenomenal. I think it does an incredible job of allowing any type of skill set to succeed on the course. And it does an incredible job of penalizing any warts that your game might have. It's just a really good test of golf when things are normal at TPC Sawgrass Players Championship. Now, this year is anything but normal. And this year, I don't say this is a diss to whoever wins because this, again, as I'm coming into this episode, the leaderboard, it's filled with people who this would be a career-defining win. Anurban Lahiri or Tom Hoagie or Harold Varner. Or, there's a bunch of people who are on this leaderboard. Paul Casey, that if they won this, I would go, that is the defining win of their career. Doug Geem, there's so many people that are just right at the top. It's the top of the leaderboard. And I don't think it's a diss to whoever wins this event to say there's a lot of luck that is involved in this year's Players' Championship that just it pertains strictly to weather, inclement weather. It's been a total shit show. High winds, cold, rain, stopping play, start and play, stopping play, stopping play, starting play, stopping play, start. It's just been a total shit show. It's just there's been so much involved with luck of the draw when you're playing holes at certain times, if you're playing this day or that day. I don't think it diminishes things, but it's just, it's a thing to be aware of. Just like I look back at last year's Milwaukee Bucks title and I don't say, ah, they didn't deserve to win it and that's a weird ass title. No, they were the best team in a year when things were pretty strange. There was COVID going on. There was a lot of weird injuries to everybody. They were the ones who were able to stay afloat during this. Great, good for them. Take your hat off to them. Players championship this year, there's a lot of weird stuff that went on that booted out a lot of good players to see. Jordan Spieth and Brooks Kepka and Colin Morikawa, they're missing the cut by miles. A lot of it had to do with just when they were out on the course. And Brooks Kepka's on 17, hitting balloon balls out into the pond and laughing about it. And who knows if he's ever going to hit it on because that shot looks terrifying. Professionals, the very best in the world with that particular shot on that day, it shows shot tracer for everybody. And I mean, we're talking all over planet Earth. They're 40 yards left. They're 50 yards right. And it's a 130 yard shot, 140 yard shot. Because the conditions were just terrifying, right? It's just random luck. Part of what I like about golf as a player, part of what I like about golf as a viewer, I will say that readily. I think it adds a dash of something that is really cool. It's the ability to stay focused when things that you cannot control come at you. There is a lot of skill involved with being able to do that in the realm of golf. There's a lot of skill being able to do that in life, honestly. You know, when the world throws things at you that you weren't necessarily prepared for, how do you respond to that? That is a really big reflection of who you are. Uh, golf magnifies that and it drives some people mad. On certain days, it drives me mad. You know, I can speak from personal experience. When tournaments uh, come down to inclement weather, everybody always feels like they're getting screwed. You know, I talk with golfers after every tournament. And when the winds are whipping at 30 miles an hour and they're going this way and that way and they're swirling, I promise you, without fail, everybody's sitting there going, ah, I know the wind was everybody, but 
You should see the stretch that I had this type of wind on. On 14, I was going directly into it, and then I had that approach, and then 15, it switched, and so I was getting double screwed, and then 16, you won't believe what was happening, and everybody thinks that no matter where they were on the course. Which at that point, it just comes down to, all right, you gotta stay focused, and I know that there's a lot of luck involved with what is going on with the elements and how it pertains to me, but that's part of today's test. Part of this weekend's test for the Players' Championship. But again, luck is playing a large role in who will win this year's Players' Championship. Not a diss, just a hat tip to something that will always be there. The hat tip to something that if we cycle back to the start of the show, when people come to me and say, why, you know, why are you always talking about luck? This, this is why. Because it contextualizes how opinions are formed and what everyone is arguing about in the world of sports and how there's a lot that is lost in translation when you go from point A to point B there. The measure of an athlete, the measure of a team, that requires a really large sample size. Uh, that's why when there's skill involved, I go, just look at the scope of the career of LeBron. Look at the scope of the career of Aaron Rodgers. It's phenomenal stuff. That's why I watch it. But anytime you distill anything, the careers of those two players, their teams, expand it out to anybody, anytime you distill that down to one series, to one game, to one moment, literally anything can happen. And many times, that thing, it's just luck. Which then shapes the entire discourse moving forward. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. As a reminder, download, subscribe, rate, review, do all the good things, and I'll promise you a digital kiss. 